Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black mat. Norlander is here with me. Kyle Boone is here with me. If you're watching live on YouTube or even not live on YouTube, smash the like button like you're Brandon Davis. You have consent. Dead leg. Strong jaw. One last time before Thursday's NBA draft, we're going to mock the first round. Are you prepared to mock the first round? Let's go. Let's go, dude. Let's go. I cannot wait to draft Malachi Brandon. I got got a feeling that's exactly what you're going to do. Before we get into the picks, a couple things here. The order was determined by none other than Nada. And so it will go Kyle Boone, then GP, then myself. One, two, three. Repeat the process. We'll each have 10 picks. We're going to mock out the top 30. And before we get to actually, you know, GP setting this up, I do want to mention this. I don't know what's happening on these betting markets. I don't know if this is a reflection of our reality to come. But Paulo Bancaro, since Saturday night slash Sunday morning, has gone from a 14 to one pick plus 1400 to as of overnight at Caesars plus one seven five. Let me say that again. Bancaro has gone from plus 1400 to be the first pick to plus one seventy five. That is insane movement right now. Jabari Smith is still the favorite to be the first overall pick, but he's down to minus 130. I think his best number was minus 400. That's now minus 130. Chet Holmgren, who was firmly in the number two spot for a while, is now at plus 330. As we record this Tuesday morning, 11 a.m. Eastern time, we'll see how those numbers fluctuate in the ensuing 48 to 54 hours. But the Bancaro movement is insane, and uh, it makes me feel all the better that I've got him number one on my big board. Let me ask both of you this. So I don't know if you saw this, but Orlando's front office um, held a press conference, I guess, yesterday, and they insisted they still do not. Um, they they still haven't decided exactly what they're going to do on Thursday night. Do you buy that? I don't buy that at all. No, they just they decided on lottery night who they were taking. That's who. That's what I think. Now, whether they're they're going to admit that publicly or not, obviously not. But I think. This is this, the scouting process, like publicly, when fans get engaged, starts at the lottery, or I guess right after the college basketball season. But like these front offices have known these guys for years; they've been scouting them for a long time. I bet as soon as they got the first pick, they knew exactly who they were taking. That's my guess. John, I, I, Hamm- I was just gonna say real quick. John Hammond is the GM. I did see the clip. He was asked, "You publicly disclosed that you've worked out Jabari Smith." And Chet Holmgren, which they have, they've like, <laughs> they like, they like really made it known how much uh, Jabari Smith was working out for the Magic. That has not happened with Bancaro. So maybe yeah. some of that is stirring the speculation because the Bancaro stuff, again, there's plenty of subterfuge going on with all this stuff. Uh, I don't know. 
KB could be right. I'm not convinced they knew once they won the lottery that uh, they knew who they were taking because there is a pro. They, you know, you want to get the guys in your building. You want to do all that stuff. But I do think that they know. Yeah, I do think that. I I think it's Tuesday or even Monday when they did this. Yeah, they know at this point you need to know who you're taking number one, barring any you know weird situation behind the scenes where you're trying to get more information confirmed or whatever. But they know they know who they're taking off the board in that spot on Thursday night. Yeah, like. Um, I'll split the difference here. I, I think it's possible, perhaps probable, they didn't know on the night of the lottery because you do want to bring these guys in and talk to them. Like, there was a football coach one time. I might be getting too specific here. But there was a football coach one time that got hired, and from a distance, I was like, ooh, that's going to be a good hire. And then I met the guy, and I was like, oh, no. If I would have met this guy two weeks ago, I don't know that I would have hired him. And so sometimes like interpersonal interactions can have that type of impact on the decision-making process. So it wouldn't surprise me if they didn't, or they, if they, they were leaning a certain direction, but didn't quite know for sure what they were going to do on the night of the lottery. But once you bring everybody in and you sit down and you talk to them and you, you know, for lack of a better phrase, break bread and yeah, work out all that stuff. But a lot of the basketball stuff you can, you've, you know, that, that that's, mm-hmm. that's years long uh, stuff. But getting to know somebody, like sitting down with them, I think uh, I think that can move the needle a little bit. Either way, I think they know now. It, it would be crazy to me if on June twenty first they didn't know what they were were going to do. So with, with all that said, let's go ahead and, and dive into this. Orlando is picking first. Cal Boone is selecting for the Magic. What direction are you going? I'm going to go with Jabari Smith Jr. This this feels like the expected outcome on draft night right now. Uh, betting markets have Jabari at like minus 130 to go number one. Uh, Paolo, as, as Norlander just mentioned, is actually second right now at plus 175. That minus 130 number is down from, it was actually like minus 450 and minus 500 in some spots. So the movement to me, I think, is pretty notable. Um, maybe it's nothing, maybe it's something, but ultimately, I still think it will be Jabari Smith at number one. I am a little bit lower on him than maybe some of the others at the top of this draft. He's actually number four on on my personal big board. But you can't deny that he's just a wonderful shooter at his size. Uh, Bruce Pearl, Auburn's coach, called him the best jump shooting big to come out of basketball in the last decade, which is pretty high praise. And that's basically kind of where his value lies. Uh, Shot 42% from three last season. He was in the 94th percentile as a spot up shooter. Uh, As a freshman became, became the second ever freshman in college hoops history, who's six foot 10 or taller to make 63s and 100 free throws. And the only person who did that previously was Kevin Durant. So I think he's uh his shot making versatility, I think, is is maybe a question mark. He was a guy who who was mostly a catch and shoot guy and and uh, more of a spot up threat. But uh, the sh- the shooting and kind of the 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 ability to just be a knockdown shooter at his size is so valuable. He feels like such a safe pick. And at number one, that's uh, that's the direction I think Orlando will go. I, I don't think it's crazy. It's not what I would do, but um, I can make yeah, yeah. I I can make an argument that. Uh, you, you that it's reasonable to select Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, or Paulo Bencaro with the number one pick. This is not clear cut to me. This is not easy to me. Uh, but the guy I would take number one is the guy I will take number two for Oklahoma City. 
and and that is Chet Holmgren. Um, you know, we've dedicated entire episodes to, you know, some of these guys. So I don't want to spend a, a lot of time rehashing um, what we've already said. Although I recognize I have a habit of doing that. <laughs> um, but I I, uh, I listened to our buddy Pablo Torre, who does the ESPN Daily podcast. He had Jonathan Gavoni on yesterday, mm-hmm. and um. Two th- there are a lot of things I thought were interesting, but one of the things that that stood out to me is Jonathan from the jump has uh, you know at least since the lottery was set has had Orlando taking Jabari Smith, but also on that podcast said he would take Chet Holmgren number one uh, that if he were in charge of the franchise picking first he would take Chet Holmgren, and so then the obvious follow up question is okay then why is Orlando going to take Jabari Smith if indeed they do. And what Jonathan explained was um, Orlando was the worst three-point shooting team in the NBA last season. So, you know, if you got an opportunity to take a – and I'm paraphrasing here, but this is more or less the point. You know, a 6'10 forward who shot above 40% from three, high-volume guy, then, you know, that that was an obvious weakness, and now you've just improved it. And, I like, intellectually, I got it. I, I understand. It makes sense. I think that's crazy. You know, to to go, hey, we're a crap team. We're crap have been a you know bad franchise, and we weren't good uh, three at three point shooting last season. So let's take a three point shooter at the top of the draft. If you yeah. genuinely believe Jabari Smith's the best player in this draft, prospect in this draft, take him. But if you if you really think it's Chet Holmgren to not take him because Jabari Smith's a better three point shooter and you struggle with three point shooting, the Magic's problems. And I'm not going to act like I watch every Orlando game. You're locked in. You're locked in. But their problems are not that, you know, they just don't shoot it well enough from three. That's on the list of issues. But the real problem is they don't have enough awesome players. You should be trying to get an awesome player. And if you think that's Chet Holmgren, to take somebody other than him based on a specific statistical need, that is absolute insanity to me. But we'll see what happens on Thursday night. Um, the other thing I thought was interesting when Pablo and, and Jonathan got into a conversation about Chet Holmgren was, you know, they start talking about his body, which is something everybody's going to talk about. You'll hear about it on draft night before he's picked after he's picked. It's going to come up. It's very skinny. And this was an interesting point to me. And I would ask you guys this question because Pablo brought up the body and Jonathan said, He's been doing um, evaluating prospects in advance of drafts for 19 years now, which, oh, geez, time flies. Um, he said, I can't think of a single prospect who who was stopped short of becoming great, like what we thought they could be, because he was, quote, too skinny. He's like, that's not really a thing in the NBA. Who's the guy that didn't become a superstar Strictly because he's too skinny. Like, oh man, if this guy wasn't so skinny, he'd be great. And I thought that was it. I've never thought of it that way. But who's the like? Is that a is that a valid point? Like, if you're expecting Chet Holmgren to to not fulfill his potential because he's too skinny, you are expecting him to not fulfill his potential for a reason that isn't ever actually a reason. NBA players don't become great. Uh, I mean. Sean Bradley was really skinny and wasn't mm-hmm. as good as they thought he'd be. How but skinny? What, how like 
how skinny was Chris Stapps versus his expectation with where he was drafted? So I don't know if that's entirely true. Like, but then again, those those players weren't expect superstars. Yeah, I, I, I guess, yeah, I guess what I would say, I would, I would, I would counter that with is like, <laughs> is the reason Sean Bradley wasn't great was because is it because he was skinny? I don't think so. No. I mean, was it no. a factor? I don't know. I just think maybe he just wasn't maybe. great. I just think he I wasn't know. great. Chet's tough as hell. Like, right. the I, don't, I don't doubt what Chet are his. I think he is more obsessed with basketball than maybe any other player in the draft. And that's just based on me being around him, talking to his coaches. And, you know, I, I did an, a, a super deep dive on him in the middle of the season there. And he's just obsessed with work ethic, wants to be coached hard, does not want to be pampered. I think that's a wonderful attribute to him. And, oh, by the way, despite his frame, has never suffered uh, a real like debilitating injury. It just hasn't happened yet. Like he's actually been tough in spite of his frame, but the frame still has people concerned. And there's never been someone that looks like him that like, even like you name the player, any player, no one has actually entered the draft w- w- as straight up lanky as he is. So that will be interesting. And Boone and I did, I mean, five weeks ago, four weeks ago. Now we did the story on, you know, it's a real toss up. Jabari, Chet, Paulo, three bigs. You can make the case. Tough to say who should go one, who should go two, who should go three. It's an abnormal draft at the top. I think it's super compelling because of this. Uh, Chet to OKC has been something that I've been feeling the entire time. But then again, um, some wonder if Sam Presti might be, you know, uh, you know, running a ruse on everyone because OKC is, an, is a front office that has a reputation around the league for being as tough to crack and tough to read as almost any other one. And while I'm not predicting this will happen, but like I haven't seen Palo to OKC anywhere. And that organization is certainly capable of doing something like this. So keep that in mind as we head in and I'll just transition to my pick here. Number three, I'm obviously going to take Bancaro to the Rockets at three Parrish And I did uh, an hour's mock draft on HQ on Monday. Uh, you know, GP was saying like the Rockets are in the best position of anyone. No, they don't get the benefit of getting the first pick or the second pick, but they get to take the guy that's sitting there, who, whatever player it's going to be. Like if we get a situation where, where this Bancaro smoke is fire and Orlando takes Bancaro one and OKC really is Chet no matter what. And then like Jabari Smith is sitting there at three for Houston. I mean, that's incredible. So no matter who drops to Houston at three, uh, you're in a you're in a win-win. You're not guaranteed the player is going to be great, but you will not be second guessed because you didn't have the opportunity to take player A at one or player B at two. You get the third guy. You take what's afforded to you. If he winds up being better than the other two, awesome. If he's not, well, you didn't have the opportunity. Houston's in a really good spot here. Uh, we've talked about Bancaro plenty on this pod. Had my mock go up, my big board mock. To me, I just love everything about this guy's game. Paulo Bancaro is the most NBA ready, fully developed, has proved it for three plus straight seasons at this point. He is going to be, I think, one of the biggest impact players immediately and grow into one of the best players. If not the best player in this class, he'd be my favorite for rookie of the year. Uh, again, I'm fascinated with how and I don't I don't know why this has suddenly become a thing that his number has jumped so significantly on the betting market. Sometimes the betting markets can be off. Maybe they will be here. Maybe they won't, but Bancaro to three to Houston. Uh, that's the order. Last thing before we transition, guys, is just want to ask you, KB, I'll start with you, and then GP, give me your input. What percentage 
do you put that Ivy or a non-big three big goes in the top three? What percentage on Thursday night is there a chance that we could actually be surprised and either by trade or any of these three teams, we don't see either Jabari, Chet, or Bancaro. One of those three drops to at least four, and we get an Ivy or Murray or Shaden Sharp or someone jumps up. Kyle Boone, give me a percentage that that actually happens in your opinion. 38%. I, wow. I don't think it's like. But that's I don't think it's likely. Time. Yeah, but I, I think there's been a lot of uh, some Ivy love over the last week or two that makes me think it's it's possible. To me, Ivy's the only one that would potentially sneak up into that top three spot. Keegan Murray, like maybe at four, but I, I can't imagine OKC at two or Houston at three taking Keegan Murray. So maybe there's a chance. Ivy, Ivy's the one that I think is kind of the X factor. I think if he doesn't go two or three, he goes four. So I'm kind of tipping my hand here, but yeah. I, I think it's possible. I, I think it's possible. You know, I yeah. put it at 20%. 20, you know, something like that. Um, I can tell you the recipe for it. Um, it's somebody, it's a franchise picking in the top three that loves Jaden Ivey or Shaden Sharp and hates Chet Holmgren. Yeah. That's the that's the way it happens. I don't think there's any scenario Jabari Smith drops out of the top three. I don't think there's any scenario Paulo Bencaro drops out of the top three. But Chet is and I, a little bit there. Yeah. There's yeah, a possibility. Like, yeah. Like I talked to a front office guy within the past week who said he wouldn't take Chet Holmgren in the top five. Hmm. He's like, I just don't believe in it. Now other, other franchises believe he should go number one, but he's the type that you could love or you could hate. I don't think there's any reason to hate Jabari Smith or any reason to hate Paulo Bencaro. Um, Those guys are, there's not, you're not, it's all there. Uh, like you don't really have any questions. I mean, sure. The questions are how great can they be? But it's not, is this going to work? There's some real Chet Holmgren, is this going to work questions out there. And so let's just for the sake of the conversation, say Jabari Smith comes off the, the board at one. And then, you know, Oklahoma City takes Paulo at two. And let's and then Houston's like, I don't believe in Chet Holmgren, but I love Jaden Ivey. That's how you could get somebody other than them popping into the top three. As for the betting markets, um, I remember a few years ago, um, they switched drastically in the NFL draft to Baker Mayfield being taken number one, mm-hmm. like overnight. And I think Schefter had some, I think a Schefter report had something to do with it. But like yeah. Baker Mayfield was way like plus 1800, I don't remember the exact, but like way off the radar. And then boom, he was the betting favorite the next morning to be the number one pick. So it's possible they don't know what they're doing. But they usually know what they're yeah, doing. Sure. And, and I think the Ben Carroll movement is certainly worth noticing. Yeah, we, we've talked for months and months about how there's not a clear number one in this class. It's going to come down to fit. It's going to come down to who prefers who at the top of the draft. And ultimately, it's going to come down to, you know, which team is picking. I think we kind of just talked ourselves into Jabari at number one just because it seemed like that was the most obvious answer, especially after the lottery. But who knows? You know, I think it's possible we get some surprises on draft night. Maybe there's some trades up or down. If teams are really convinced, like if Detroit is convinced at five that they really want Jaden Ivey and they're willing to move up a spot, and Sacramento wants to to maybe move their pick. 
that wouldn't be surprising. Like I, I think there's a lot of different scenarios in play that could up in the top of the draft for sure. Yeah, give me some chaos on draft night. Any either just one of those three not going top three or just a non-Jabari Chet Paolo order. Just give me a little bit different. But we'll see if that winds up happening. KB, you're up four with the Kings. I think we know who you're going with here. Yeah, I'll take Jaden Ivey at number four for the Kings. Uh, this is this is the last of the kind of tier one players to me in this draft. He's the number one prospect in in my big board. Um, not totally thrilled with the fit next to De'Aaron Fox, but I would just prefer Jaden Ivey over De'Aaron Fox. I think it's kind of that simple. I wouldn't let him kind of sway my decision. I think he's the best kind of pure athlete in this draft. Just you guys have seen him, explosive downhill creator, can get to the rim whenever he wants. Uh, improved 10% uh, from from the three-point line. As a freshman, going from a role player to the number one option on a top 10 Purdue team, I'm very intrigued with his developmental arc, his trajectory. I uh, feel like he can be a true lead guard at the NBA level. He needs to improve his decision-making, uh, needs to improve his defense. There's admittedly some areas where he's not a perfect prospect. That's why I don't think he'll end up going number one, but I think in a few years we could look back and say that Jaden Ivey was the actual number one in this draft class, just uh, betting on his development. I think uh, in Sacramento would be an interesting fit, not totally sold on it, but I think you just take the best player available at number four. That's right. I agree. Uh, you take the best player available. And I know you said you prefer Jaden Ivey to De'Aaron Fox. You might be right. Um I don't think you have to pick between them. Like I, yeah. I think they could play together. I'm not. Con- I know De'Aaron Fox is a point guard. I'm not convinced Jaden Ivey is. And like, there's, there's there's nothing wrong with having two, you know, primary ball handlers in your backcourt, um, who you know, with great first steps, and in Ivey's case, a big strong guy who is um, incredibly athletic and, and and you know, awesome at attacking the rim. So um, I like. I don't mind the fit. I, I think sometimes people go, well, they got De'Aaron Fox. Like, I, I don't yeah. care. Um, you know, if you if Jaden Ivey becomes the fourth best player or one of the top four players from this draft and um, you didn't take him because you had De'Aaron Fox, that'll be an obvious mistake. So if you think he's the fourth best prospect in this draft, if you're Sacramento, you should take him. At five, well, why, did, why, did, why did the Kings pass on Luka Doncic? Just because they thought they had something with De'Aaron Fox. Like, you just take – Best player available, right? Like they took Marvin Bagley. Yeah, and what, like once upon a time, uh, was it Portland? You know, didn't take Michael Jordan because they had Clyde Drexler. Yeah, like they, they had one of the best basketball players of all time yeah. at the same position. It was still a mistake. You know, that, take the best player. You will never go. God, yeah, this is something no general manager has ever said. God, this guy we picked is amazing, but. You know, he kind of plays the same position as another guy we got. Nobody ever says that. If you get an amazing guy, you're just happy you got him. That should be the goal. At five, Detroit, taking Keegan Murray. Um, I I just think he's got such translatable skills for the NBA that he's going to be ready to play from day one. You know, six, nine-ish, you know, switchable forward who shot a good percentage from three and scored at an incredible rate um, at, at Iowa. I know he's almost 22 years old. I also don't care. You know, 22-year-olds can get better, just like 19-year-olds can get better. Um, so uh, I, I, his age doesn't scare me. And you put him in Detroit, you know, with with Cade Cunningham, you've now got uh, some pretty interesting pieces to try to get back to a, a place of relevance. 
I'm interested to see what Keegan Murray will be. I'm a little bit of a seller on him overall. He's 12 on my big board, but he will go higher than that and obviously makes sense here. Uh, for me, at six, we've got Indiana. I'm going to go shade and sharp. As much, you know, there are certainly guys that have enigmatic qualities to them attached in this draft, including a couple that we'll get to later on here in this first round. None like Shaden Sharp, who did not play at Kentucky, has not played an organized game, I think, since October, and uh, a game of an organized game that a lot of people had their eyes on since last summer. There, um, some believe that he has a, a ceiling to be a top three talent in this draft. Ultimately. And I believe that he, my my hunch is that Shaden Sharp is anywhere from three to twenty three, depending on the franchise that's evaluating him and on the big board there. But it seems likely he's going to go inside the top ten. Um, I'm putting him six to Indiana. If he hits, man, the Pacers could really use a player like him uh, with the potential star power he does bring. But there's a lot of questions to answer to. And I do think that he will be a player who will uh, show more on the back end of the, his first contract than the first two years. So keep that in mind. But I will go Pacers taking Sharp in that position. And he will be one of the five to seven players that will be the most intriguing to follow uh, right off the jump there just to see, is this guy ready? He'll be a guy that in Summer League, you know, the diehards that like to follow summer league and track, you know, all that stuff, even though a lot of it eventually winds up meaning nothing. There are guys who will shine and then eventually, you know, it can portend to good things. Uh, just what exactly Shaden Sharp looks like in summer league will be one of the, uh, you know, NBA Twitter's uh, must follows as we, as we go into July. Yeah. With, with him, like uh, six is obviously a reasonable place. He's somebody I could see going higher. If one of these franchises falls in love with him, you know, you know, after a workout or through the interview process, I, I see, um, I think Greg Doyle, our former colleague, tweeted this. He had a column um, about Shaden Sharp. Um, you know, hey, he had a chance to prove he was the best player in the country at Kentucky, but chose not to do it. What does that say about him? Well, it doesn't say anything about him. I, I don't think. I mean, adults made that decision for him. You know, yeah. th that's like saying Jabari Smith Jr. had a chance to prove he's the number one prospect at the combine. Why didn't he do it? Well, because it's not in his best interest to do it. You know, if, if you're not like, I, I would have loved for Shaden Sharp to play at Kentucky. Um, Kentucky fans obviously would have loved for Shaden Sharp to play at Kentucky. Maybe they get past the Peacocks if he's in uniform. But the, I, that is not a red flag for me that he chose not to play. It, it's, it's, it's not far removed from guys who choose not to work out against anybody um, or play at the combine. Like these are business decisions, and I'm confident Shane Sharp, his people had information as early as January that you are going to go top ten in this next draft. Yeah. Now, do you want to risk it by, you know, parachuting into a new team and trying to play in games after not getting an off season with them, a preseason with them, a non league schedule with them? I, I would have preferred he played, but I totally get why he didn't. And the idea that that should be put in the negative category. I think that's uh, I think that it, it's not something I would put in that category. Yeah. And who's to say it wasn't actually maybe the right decision. You look back just a few years ago, Hamidou Diallo, who was a five-star recruit enrolled at the mid-year point with Kentucky played and didn't look very good. You know what? He ended up being a second round pick. He was number 45 overall. Jaden Hardy, a guy who was a five-star top five recruit in the same class with Shaden Sharp 
played last season with the G League Ignite at the start of the season as a you know a potential top 10 pick. Now we're going to pick him probably in the 20s in this mock draft. So I think there's some give and take here. The fact that Shaden Sharp is, I think, clearly going to be a top 10 pick. Um, you know, maybe maybe he ended up making the right decision, even if uh, it upset it some some big blue nation. Yeah, I mean, if he's picked sixth, I think he made the right decision. All yeah. right, uh, at seven, Portland's picking. You got it, KB. Yeah, I'm going to take Dyson Daniels. And I actually, if I was picking at five for Detroit, uh, I think I would have taken him at number five. It's a little bit rich, but this is a guy who has been steadily rising in recent weeks to the point where I think he could be in play as early as five. Had a he had a really strong year with uh, with G League Ignite. He's an elite on ball perimeter defender. He's got really good length. He measured at the combine six and six seven and a half in shoes. His his wingspan is almost seven foot. Uh, very creative passer. Kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Josh Giddy, another Australian who's just a really creative passer, a really good playmaker. Obviously, was a top ten pick last year to the Thunder. Uh, really like his his passing reads, great vision. Someone with with wing size who I think can develop into a potential primary initiator. Um, Portland's in a spot right now where I think they need to kind of add some playmaking. So, you know, I, I think there's some questions with Dyson Daniels. He needs to improve his shot, um, hit like around 25% from three last season. But that's a question with a lot of guys in this draft, you know, the, the outside shot. So, Willing to willing to bet on kind of the foundation that Dyson Daniels brings as as a passer, uh, the great size, the defense, all that. I think um, if the shot comes around, he's going to end up being the top five guy in this draft. At eight, New Orleans, and I've got him taking Benedict Matherin out of Arizona. Um, I, I know that we haven't seen Zion play in a long time or much since becoming a professional, but in New Orleans, you're still building around him. You just are. You're about to max him out, rookie max extension. He's still the centerpiece to everything. Like they got, and they've got some nice pieces there now. CJ McCollum, uh, Brandon Ingram, uh, Herb Jones. Like that's a team that I think has, if Zion's healthy, they could be a factor in the West next season. And I'm not picking Benedict Matherin because, you know, he, he's the guy who can help the most next season. But I think at this point in the draft, he's got the highest upside of, of anybody available. Um, you know, we just watched the playoffs unfold and these six, six to six, nine athletes who can switch everything and reliably make jumpers like they are invaluable. And he's that uh, shot a good percentage from three, um, you know, was a, a incredible athlete, you know, had the dunk of the tournament, probably um, I, I this is probably the guy that when we did our player profiles, I think we ended up doing nine players maybe. Of the nine, the guy that I was higher on, way higher on than I was heading into that work, is probably Benedict Matherin. Like hmm. I, every once I dove into it, I liked the, I, I liked him plenty for all the obvious reasons even before then. But after I dove into it, I was like, I think I've got this guy too low. I, I I would have him. If I'm New Orleans, I'm thrilled if he's available at eight. Yeah. Matherin's four on my big board. Shot yeah. 37% from three last season. You know, an, an offensive rating closing in on 120 was just wonderful. And I love his long-term potential. Yeah. If, and by the way, like, if he's there, I just don't... Personally, I don't see him falling past where GP's got him here. New Orleans with the eighth pick. Uh, barring again... We'll see. We'll see how busy the trade 
uh, market is in the top 10 on draft night. And with, with that being said, I've got San Antonio at nine. So the Spurs have three first round picks. So we'll wait and see if they opt to trade out of this, if they don't, if they're going to trade one of their other ones. But I'm going to select Duke's A.J. Griffin at nine overall, particularly with the idea that they've got three first rounders. Griffin is a guy that has shooting upside that's as good as pretty much anyone in the draft with the exception maybe of Jabari Smith Jr. And even then, who's to say? Um, We talked about this on our Monday pod, so I won't belabor or repeat the point too much. But defensively, weirdly bad. Um, A little bit of injury concern because he has had those uh, over the years. But to me, I he's a clear-cut top 10 grade as far as I'm concerned. Uh, we'll see if that winds up playing out or not. He just he shoots and scores really well, and he can do it off the catch. He can do it with some creation. The Spurs, the Spurs genuinely feel like a great fit for Griffin, um, and that's whether or not they decide to keep three picks or not. If he's there and they're going to take it, take him. Natural talent, got to do it. Griffin, number nine, San Antonio. That's my pick. Yeah, our colleague uh, Adam Finkelstein at 247 kind of scouted him throughout high school and has raised some questions about his athleticism, um, like pre-injury, post-injury. Like in high school, he was like an elite athlete. Didn't really see that at Duke. So I think that's maybe a concern uh, for teams and a reason why he might end up slipping. But like to me, he's the best wing shooter in this draft. He's he's very physically mature, um, high character dude who – can play both ends. Uh, very good, very good frame. So this this feels like around the range, um, somewhere around nine. I'll go ahead and pick next. I got uh, the Washington Wizards at number ten, and I'm going to take Jeremy Sohan. Feels a tad bit rich. I admit I may be reaching a little bit, but um, I think Sohan is is not only playing the lottery, but like maybe in the top ten of the lottery, uh, just because his versatility. Um, this is a guy who. I think is maybe the most versatile defender in the draft can guard one, two, three, four, five, all of the numbers. And um, there's just not many players in this draft or really in the NBA who can do that. So uh, there's, there's definitely some questions about his shot. He doesn't look very confident shooting it. And frankly, I don't think he should because it's, it's not a good shot right now, but uh, it's kind of a developmental bet that, you know, if he's able to add the shot, the, the combination of his defense, his playmaking, like this is a guy who who Baylor at times ran its offense through. Um, and then hopefully the shot will eventually come around. Um, this is a guy who I who I really like. He's uh he's a tenacious worker, someone who I think will will only get better. Still very young and uh and improving and can give kind of the wizards, I think, a foundational piece to build around. Real quick on this, KB and GP. Um I, well, whoever Washington takes again, provided it doesn't trade out of that or move up down whatever if they're just sitting there at 10 like if you're like the wizards have just like the magic have been bad but they get the number one pick you know the wizards they're trying to figure out this beal situation and i can understand if you're the if you're the type of listener who's tuned into this podcast and you like slash love the wizards and you hear jeremy sohan you're like that's doing nothing for me i get it he's actually a pretty tempting prospect but for that franchise in particular they're in such a tough spot like they will get a player with promise, but they might wind up taking a guy where like the fan base could be just unenthused. And I think Sohan might be that kind of guy just because a lot of if you're if you're just like an okay college basketball fan or not much of one, or you're you know, just all an NBA guy, and then you're like, 
Jeremy, who's Jeremy Sohan? Who is this? They probably will say the name correctly. Um, I'm I'm watching that pick in particular because I think the Wizards really do need someone to try and get them out of this rut. That franchise can't seem to get out of its own way. So you pick in Sohan. You know, it was just uh, it was intriguing to me. What do you got, GP? Well, he's probably best known for trying to start a fight in the NCAA tournament or something, right? Yeah, or like, like every it, game he played in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the North Carolina game was like wild, and he was yeah. a he he was a big part of that. Uh, a, a rarity too, if he is picked in the lottery. Uh, sub one hundred high school prospect mm. was not ranked in the top one hundred of his high school class. Could be a one and done lottery pick. That is not a normal thing. At 11, New York Knicks, I got him taking Jalen Duran. If I'd be a mock draft that had Jalen Duran going behind Jeremy so- Sohan a year ago. Didn't exist. Is Jalen Duran a Nixie pick? Yes or no, GP? Yeah, I think Steve. he's a Nixie pick. I, mean, I, don't, Nixie uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, you know. What do you mean by that? Let's, let's, let's define Nixie pick. Nixie pick would be he is, he is little. <laughs> pick is a player with significant name recognition with the potential to severely underwhelm once you get two three seasons into the draft into his career. Obi Toppin. Yeah. well that's that's who popped I into my head it, and you know what i was so in on obi Toppin. he went to the wrong you can't convince me otherwise just um, wait till next year it's coming breakout's coming still believe by the way <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast and you also were listening last july when I said there's just no scenario where Jalen Duran is going to be the number one pick, even though he's the number one ranked high school player in the country, he'll be he'll be picked closer to ten than he is one. Please send me a follow up note. <laughs> I got a lot of notes from you guys. I was even in Jalen Duran's college announcement video. I was the lead voice in Jalen Duran's college announcement video because I was skeptical that he would be the number one pick or that he was really the number one player in his class. And now we've got him going 11th to the New York Knicks. Don't And if not for me, stepping up to the plate, he'd, he'd, be, he'd, he'd slip further. I'm the only thing that saved him from going 12th. You know, like his, uh, his number one pick odds, by the way, plus one, zero, 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 zero. <laughs> that, that was the controversial thing I said on that podcast from Peach Jam last July. And now, repeat those odds again one more time, Strong Jaw. Yeah, plus one zero 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 zero. Is that like plus a hundred thousand? Is that what I heard in there? It it's so many zeros. I literally cannot do this on the fly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, somebody owes me an apology. Just, just, uh, next. Just tweet them. I would recommend he go somewhere else, but that's where we got him going. Um. I- I, I like him. Like I don't. I like he's obviously a physical specimen. Um, I still don't think he was six eleven last summer, but he might be now. Although some places are listing at, at six ten. Uh, body's amazing. Uh, good rim protector. Uh, shot alterer. Um, I but I I, I I I'll never forget that. Like last July, when I was talking to an ACC coach about him. Because I was, I was like, okay, I don't see it. Whatever some of these people see, I don't see it. When I was talking to an ACC coach, I was like, what do you see? Like, do you think he's really that? And they were like, well, he doesn't do much away from the basket. And that's a problem. It wasn't a problem 20 years ago for centers, but it's a problem today. Now, I think he can do some stuff away from the basket, like catch it at the elbow, um, face up, play make, pass out of that. I think he could do some stuff. 
But is he ever going to stretch it all the way out to the three-point line? I'm not sure. Maybe. I'm not sure. And um, I think sometimes because somebody looks the way they look, you go, oh, well, yeah, he'll be able to guard in space. He's okay at it. it I wouldn't call it a strength. Um, so, yeah, I would clearly take him in the lottery. But these are the exact reasons why he has no shot of going in the top five are the reasons I thought last summer he had no shot of, of being what some people were, were saying he could be. I've got OKC at 12 here. Um, so with the idea that OKC will not trade out of this spot, and I tried to strike a balance between projecting team behavior and big board. And I think I got somewhere in the middle here. I don't know if this player is going to go this high, although I wouldn't object to it and Parrish wouldn't as well. I actually am interested in Kyle Boone's thoughts. Give me your four-year college veteran, national champion, all-American, erroneous Final Four MVP, David McCormick. We see you and we hear you. Ochai Abaji going 12 to the Thunder with the idea they take Chet two in our mock draft here. Different kind of player, obviously. Um, Why not in a rebuilding organization that has some use to it, why not bring in a guy that you know, that you know has the IQ, the maturity, great reputation as a teammate, wonderful shooter. He went from 31% to 33% to 37% to 41% three-point shooting over the course of his four seasons under Bill Self with the Jayhawks there. Uh, Good passer, got better at getting to the foul line. Pretty good foul shooter overall, 74 points, 74% this past season, which was also the best of his career. So many of his numbers got better as it went along. Kind of a throwback kind of pick in that regard. The only senior projected to go in the first round is Ochai Abaji out of Kansas, unless there's someone here that I'm forgetting, but I don't think that's the case. Maybe we got one on the back end. We got one more that we'll get to, but uh, he's the only one that's even in consideration to go to the lottery. I like him to OKC. His realistic range probably feels right around here, 11 or 12 down to maybe 18 or 19, but give me him uh, in the 12 spot to OKC. Strongly, strongly object. Would hate this. Uh, Would hate this. The Tulsa, uh, the Tulsa man, the local, yeah. the native hates this. Why? Ochagabaji's 22 years old. Like this Thunder team is resetting. They're rebooting completely. They want youth and they want to take swings. If you have a lottery pick, you want to take someone who has a real chance to be a future star. And I think you kind of know what you're getting with Ochagabaji, which is going to be. Are, like you about, really- are you about to? Are you about to drop a finished product right now on this podcast? <laughs> which I is- I dare you to say it. Go ahead, KB. Call him that. Call him a finished product and see what happens next. He's kind of a finished product at this okay. point. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and at number 12, that's not what I want. Uh, I think he's going to be a really good NBA player, 3 and D type prospect. Um, but I would prefer, that, and this probably just comes down to philosophy. Like I think there's a chance Ochai Baji ends up being a top 12 player out of this draft. I think it's probably likely, actually. But for OKC, you're trying to take swings. Like, I would rather take a, a, a flyer on, on Dalen Terry or a Usman Jay or, heck, like a Malachi Branham, someone who has, like, a lot of untapped potential. Um, Ochai Baji's not a finished product, but he's older. Like, I just, I'm just curious about where he's going to be developmentally. And I don't think he necessarily fits kind of OKC's timeline at this point. 
All right, two things. One, I think I think he's probably right that Oklahoma City is taking. They got all these first round picks, and they're taking big swings. And perhaps Abaji is not as big of a swing as some other guys you might be able to take at twelve. Uh, Jaden Hardy is perhaps a bigger swing, but and we talked about this on yesterday's podcast. So I won't spend too much time on it, but it just drove me crazy when I was reading uh, Seth Davis's. Uh, scouting reports after he talked to seven uh, different NBA scouts. And these, these things are great. Like I read every one of them because I, mm-hmm. it's good information. I love that Seth does that. Um, but in that scouting report, it said, I think he's a finished product. Seth didn't say he thinks that it's, it's a consensus among the scouts he talked to. They believe he's a finished product. And I would just say, and this is one of my pet peeves and I'll say this every draft. There is no such thing as a 22 year old finished product. Right. Like I, there, I have there is no great player in the history of the world at anything who has been a finished product at 22. LeBron James was awesome at 22. Imagine if LeBron James, for whatever reason, spent four years in college and was 22 years old. Can you imagine not taking him because he's already 22 years old? <laughs> I think he's a finished product. No, LeBron James got better post 22. So did Kevin Durant. So did Giannis. All of them. All yeah. the greats get better after the age of 22. So I reject on principle that a college senior who's 22 years old is like a finished product or can't get better. They don't always, just like 19-year-olds don't always get better. 20-year-olds don't always get better. But 22-year-olds can get better. And Mm -hmm. a great example of it is right here in my hometown, Desmond Bain. Was he a finished product coming out of college? I guess some people thought so. But I, I can just tell you, from age 22 to 23, he got a lot better. And now he's a borderline all-star caliber player. Yep. Uh, I, I just wanted to roll Tony. a bit there. Tony, you're next uh, up, Charlotte. Yeah, number 13 for Charlotte. I'm going to take Mark Williams. Uh, just for the record, I am team Jalen Duran over Mark Williams. I feel like that is this year's spirited debate. Um, but Duran obviously is off the board here. Um I think Mark Williams is is a good value proposition at number 13. Clearly, Charlotte is in need of some help in the front court. Um, Mark Williams had the longest wingspan at the combine this year, seven foot, almost seven inches, which is crazy long. And GP's giving us a nice stretch there. Um, no, I'm showing you my wingspan. Okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah. That's, Yo, don't. That's a six How many foot, GPs could we fit inside of Mark right Williams? Okay, don't hate. I yeah, think I can I get a grade real quick from Kanata Edwards, Charlotte Hornets aficionado? Give us the grade. Kyle Boone sends Mark Williams, your guy, to Not Charlotte. Mark he doesn't have a head coach. What's the grade? Not a yes. It, see, the thing is, Boone knew he was doing this show. <laughs> Boone knows I hate Mark Williams. I think he's not very. I think he's not going to translate nearly as well. And as disappointed as Kyle Boone was in Ochai Abaji, and I'm sitting there knowing what he's about to do next and then has the nerve to be as offended about this, I might be twice as offended right now. Thank you, Kyle Boone. Now I know you give Christmas lumps of coal for in, in people's stockings. That's what I know you do. I give this an F. I wish you would go over oh. and do this again. <laughs> okay, Nada, at... Four, at, uh, at- 13, Charlotte's picking. With the guys who are on the board, who would you take? Honestly, I would 
I might go Tari Eason. I really think mm. with the defensive capabilities with the rumors that Miles Bridges may not be back and there being an availability there, I think you go with the guy that can defend. And as much as I as much as they need a center, I'm not sure Mark Williams is the guy particularly for them. Well, I I'd, I'd give that an F, not oh, a Oh wow. That's a horrible thing. Oh wow. <laughs> Got to be careful. Got to got to be careful, Kyle. He's in charge of this stream yard. He can knock you off at any moment. <laughs> pick it easy. Charlotte will have another pick in two picks, so uh, I will be picking for Charlotte. We will go back to Nada for his grade on that. But GP's yeah. next, last in the lottery with Cleveland. Uh, I think Johnny Davis. Like I was on radio this morning in Cleveland, and uh, we were talking about you know the possibilities at, at fourteen. And one of the things I said, and this happens every draft, it's like. You, you know, if you particularly if you work in a certain market, like an NBA market, and you've got a you know late lottery pick, it's like, yeah, but all these guys are off the board. So I guess uh, we're looking at Malachi Brandon or Jaden Hardy or EJ Liddell yeah. or Ty Ty Watch, and somebody's going to fall to 14 that everybody has off the board by 14. It's just going to happen. And in our mock draft, whether it's right or wrong, who could say for sure? But like Johnny Davis fell to 14. And so, crazy. yeah. And so, um, I, I bet you Cleveland doesn't think Johnny Davis is on the board at 14, and he, he might not be. But with the way we did this, he he ended, he was there. And at that point, I'm just taking most interesting, best prospect available. And I, I do think for a Cleveland franchise that needs playmaking in the backcourt, shot creating in the backcourt, he actually fits a need as well. So in my actual mock, I have him taking Malachi Branham. But in this one, if Johnny Davis falls to 14, I'm just going to take him at 14. That is the lottery. Johnny Davis finishes out at Cleveland at 14. Charlotte will be the first team out of the lottery. That's my pick. But first, Nada, fire it up. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. All righty. So we've got Charlotte now first on the board outside the lottery. That's my pick. I am going to go with a guy who I think has a chance to be a lottery pick. Uh, and if not, I think he's gone by about 18 at the latest uh, recently wrote a feature on him. Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara. 
uh, a really, really good two-way player who has been the biggest winner of the pre-draft process of anyone because he declared, and at the time that he declared, he was seen as like a potential draft pick. And then that went from, oh, you'll probably be a second-round pick to uh, the testing is coming back, the buzz is increasing, you've real, got a real shot at going in the first round. He goes to the Combine, is the winner of the Combine, and is now essentially guaranteed to be a top 20 guy. He's received a green room invite. Really, really, really cool story. Uh, one of the most recited facts about this draft is that he will be the first player since one Steve Nash to be drafted out of Santa Clara. That happened in 1996. Before I get thoughts from Parrish or Boone, I have to send it right back to Nada, our Charlotte Hornets experts. Grade the Jalen Williams pick. Solid, solid B to B plus. I think he's a guy that's been in Charlotte at least once to work out. Think he's Mitch Kupchak's type of getting an older guy, especially at the wing position, can handle the ball, can shoot it a little bit. I think that's the type of guy they're kind of in love with at the wing, so it fits perfectly. Kyle, can I get your thoughts here? Paris and I have talked about Williams a little bit, but I actually don't know where you stand on him as a prospect. And if you're buying into, you know, it's a fascinating thing. He's he's a non-power school player, all right? He's going to be the highest drafted. That's what's fascinating about this. If uh, if Patrick Baldwin Jr. doesn't go in the first round on Thursday, then it'll probably just be Jalen Williams. That is represented from a non-power school, power conference whole deal. Uh, do you buy his rise as a top 20 prospect over the past two-plus months? I do, yeah. He he kind of has the Bones Highland trajectory where, you know, was was maybe a draft pick, really stood out at the combine, has emerged as kind of a, like a top 20 guy, definitely a first-round pick. Um, tested really well at the combine. He's six foot six, has a like a crazy long wingspan, like seven foot two. Um, and the numbers kind of back it up. Like he was last season as Santa Clara's like number one option was like a 97th percentile spot-up shooter. Shot 40% from three. I think the physical tools are, are going to translate. Like, I don't think he's going to be a star, but this is a guy who I think is going to be a really good role player in the NBA. So at 15, I really like this pick. I would take Jalen Williams, by the way, over Ochai Baji. Well, that, that, that's your problem. Yeah. I don't think he's a finished product, GP. I think he's got a lot <laughs> of going to do. Uh, Boone, you're next at, uh, with Atlanta at 16. Okay, at number 16 for Atlanta, I'm going to take Jaden Hardy. And we mentioned him briefly. This is a guy who was a top five recruit uh, a year ago, signed with the G League Ignite, had kind of a down year with that team, shot you know around 27% from three-point range, 35% from the field. Neither are particularly encouraging, but he still led that team in scoring, really crafty with the ball, um, kind of be- being able to carve out space for himself. Has a nice step back move in his game. Kind of reminds me of uh, Kevin Porter Jr. when he was coming out of college. Just a really talented kind of shooter and, and creator. Uh, definitely needs to improve his shot. Needs to be more versatile to be kind of a polished offensive weapon, not just like an on-ball creator. But um, I, I think I'm fine betting on the pedigree. Someone who I would be willing to take a gamble on at 16, especially if I'm trying to add some talent around uh, Trey Young there in Atlanta. Uh, at 17, Houston, I'll take Malachi Branham. Full disclosure, we conducted this mock draft last night. Did we ever figure <laughs> out what happened? 
Did I really take Malachi Brandon three different times? I mean, it was a wonderful flashback to when we do our <laughs> preseason t- ranking of the top 101 players and Paris takes a guy like 53rd and then we get to like the 82nd guy and it's like, you know what? I love this dude. I'm going to put this guy. It's like, Parrish, you picked this guy two days ago on the email chain. Can you please reference? So as I'm looking through this and I'm looking to make my next pick, uh, I see Malachi Branham not once, not twice. Three times a draft pick. What were you doing, my man? Well, first off, I think we had a font problem. Okay. I feel like we had some sort of font problem. And then, I mean, was I watching <laughs> Was I watching baseball and drinking last night? Maybe. Maybe I was watching baseball and drinking last night. Uh, the curtain has been pulled back <laughs> entirely. Yes. Three times. <laughs> I drafted Malachi. Exactly. It's like, you made the pick. Boone and the me, you made Brandon again. And and you know what? It's on us too, because we didn't I didn't pick up on that on the first time. If but we're being if we're being fair to me, if you go back and look at the email, because it's it's funny, but I don't think I actually screwed it up as badly as it appears. Um if you look at it, it, it says 17 Malachi Branham, 18. I don't want to I don't want to spoiler, I don't want to screw this up. Oh, yeah, don't spoil. But we went 17, 18, and then it's 17, then 16, then 17. then So I picked Malachi Branham 17th, and that, that just showed up in the list three different times. I don't no, think I – How did they work? I don't think I actually drafted him three different times. I think he just – his. It, we had a, the email chain have you picking him three times. Yes, but I'm reading you what the email chain shows right now. It says It says – Atlanta, Jaden Hardy, 17, Houston, Malachi Brandon, 18, Chicago, who they picked. And then the next thing you see is 17, Houston, Malachi Brandon. Then after that, it's 16, Atlanta, Jaden Hardy. Then it's 17, Houston, Malachi Brandon. Somebody doesn't know how to cut and paste. That's what I'm telling you. I, I honestly think it was uh, – I think it was Norlander doing some, like, Barry Berkman level mind subterfuge, just, just messing with you to see – I if don't have Malachi Branham in my big board top 30, so the, your your conspiracy theory might wind up being correct. I took I couldn't take him enough. I couldn't take him enough. Wing with size, so wing with size who can shoot it. Can't have too many of them. If you're Houston and you're in total rebuild mode, we've now got him taking Paulo Bencaro at three and Malachi Brandon at 17. Feel pretty good about that. Listen, there's a certain certainly a good chance that he winds up hitting. Um, I'm just gonna. I'm. A, he was one that I'm selling on here. I could entirely be wrong, obviously, but some of these guys that are going to be taken anywhere from five to fifteen won't prove to be top thirty players in this draft two, three, five, eight years down the road. Um, so I was a bit of a dissenter on that. At Chicago's pick with eighteen, I am going to take the other Ohio State prospect who I am weighing on. EJ Liddell, who I think has a healthy chance uh, because of his size, because of his basketball IQ, because of the role he'll be asked to play. And I think the role he will thrive in. I think Liddell has a very good chance of being a top 10 to 12 player, having a 10 top 10 to 12 career uh, in this class. When we look up 12 to 15 years from now, uh, love his motor, love the fact that, and I can't remember if I said this on the pod or I said it on HQ, but a year ago when he went through the pre-draft process, he was underwhelming. They thought he was too heavy. They thought his defense needed improvement. They thought they saw his shot was good, but needed plenty of work. 
And when I talked with Liddell about three weeks ago at this point, um, he basically listed off like the four or five major, most significant things that he got feedback on and said, if you want to be a draft pick uh, for sure, go back to school, improve your stock. And then we'll see you in a year. He could have gone a year ago and maybe been picked. And he was even open about the fact that had he done that, where would he be right now? Would he really have been happy with that decision? Instead, he was thrilled to go back to school, to be able to spend time, uh, you know, with his, with his teammates, his coaches, with his friends, which get another year of college. He wanted to experience that, you know, imagine that. And look what's happened. This is a really wonderful draft night story. The idea that you can, yeah, play three years in college, improve your stock undeniably similar to Ochai Abaji. Liddell's just a year ahead of that and turn yourself into a surefire first round pick. I've got him 18. That's certainly possible. Um, in talking to Liddell, and some NBA people, the feeling is he won't drop below, say, 24 or so. Uh, but I'm going to go with him here at 18. I actually think from a fit perspective, I actually think this works really, really well for Chicago. Bulls are obviously rumored to maybe be in the market to get Rudy Gobert, a different kind of player. But maybe they want to really bulk up and go after uh, some front court presence moving forward. But yeah, give me, uh, give me Liddell. Boone, you like the pick? You like the player? What's your assessment? Yeah, first of all, I want to know where we got the like look up in X amount of years question. Like, are we looking down for that many years? Yeah. Like we're just staring down and then yeah, like no, we're looking, we're looking, up, looking, up. looking up. It's in it's in the future. The future is is up. It's not down. That's a down lot of looking down. down. Yeah. Um EJ Liddell might be too little. That's that's my He's that's not my hot too take. little. This dude was six foot five and a half without shoes at the NBA draft combine. Six seven with shoes. Like a guy who's gonna play power forward at the NBA level, to me that's Mildly concerning. I hear you, but I think he'll float between. I think he can be a. Yeah, I I actually really like him as a prospect. Um, Yeah, he. You mentioned how he came back to school. He he trimmed down. He improved his shot. He plays bigger than six foot seven in shoes or whatever he is. Uh, He's very physical. Like I think he he can be like a true four at the NBA level. This is about the range where I would pick him. So eighteen to Chicago. I like I like this pick. All right, 19, Minnesota. KB's on the clock. Yep, I'm going to go with Ty Ty Washington. I continue to be uh, kind of the high guy on Ty Ty Washington. And with Minnesota, I'd really like this pick. Very versatile guard who can play on or off the ball. Shot 35% from three last season. Got a really good floater game. Great shooting touch. Reminds me a little bit of another Kentucky guard, Emmanuel Quickly, in that regard. Can get into the lane and, and kind of dissect defenses. His playmaking to me is something that that sticks out and, and is maybe kind of an under-discussed area of his game. Um, I think he has to be a kind of a plus playmaker to stick because of his size. I don't think he has the size to be like a true two guard at the NBA level, but I think he does have plus playmaking. So I would buy him at, at number 19. Um, 27% was his assist rate in SEC play last season. And, and keep in mind, he was injured down the stretch of the season. Uh, that was playing primarily next to Severe Wheeler, um, just kind of for reference there. Jaden Ivey, who I have as the number one prospect in my in my rankings, had an 18% assist rate in uh, in Big Ten play last season. So I think his uh, his passing vision, his his playmaking is pretty underrated. And the fact that he played kind of on and off the ball at Kentucky, got some polish, doing a lot of different things. I'm very excited about Ty Ty Washington's pro prospects. Uh, at 20, San Antonio, um, I'll take Walker Kessler. Um, it, it, this is a prospect 
who is going to be able to obviously do some things and probably going to struggle with others. I mean, the obvious is he's going to rim protect. He's an incredible shot blocker, shot alter. Um, was that at Auburn, and I think will be that a high level guy in the NBA. Um, I, I think I think he's going to be able to stretch it out. Like I think he can make shots from the perimeter. Uh, perhaps not tonight consistently, but in time consistently. I'm a believer in in him being a real stretch option um, at the five. The issue, of course, and this is the biggest issue, is you know guarding in space. Like, is he going to get put in? ball screens, and then just get eat up and picked on and played off the court. If you told me there's a scenario where whoever picks him is in the playoffs and a team is able to go five out, small ball attack on offense, and it becomes very hard for Walker Kessler, like, I get it, I you know, that you are running the risk of that. And I, I suppose it's reasonable to wonder if you should spend a top 20 pick on a guy that might get played off the court. But I think the other stuff that he does is so valuable that there's going to be a place for him in the NBA. And if he can figure out how to do the other thing, some of the other things uh, good enough, then I think that's good enough. You're on mute, Lander. Maybe Matt Norlander should unmute himself. The number one block rate in the country last season 19.1% for Walker Kessler. He was the best shot blocker by efficiency standards in the country. Shot 70% from inside the three-point line. Did take 53s. Made 10 of those for a 20% rate. I'm in on him. I have him graded as a, as a top 15 prospect long-term in this. And, uh, and I love, but I, that being said, if San Antonio doesn't trade out of that GP, I love him at that spot. I think he would be a wonderful fit at 21. I've got Denver. I'll go with Usman Jang. He has he has stock that I think has increased uh, in the past couple of weeks. Overall, it's a, a little bit of a a little bit of a tough read um, in terms of long term projection. I do I do like him overall. I do I do have him rated clearly as a as a first round pick. But this is more um, he's. He's listed, I think, at 6'9", although I've seen some 6'10". Uh, very good defensively. I think his spacing uh, and how he understands that is undeniable. Clearly, I only, you know, never saw him in person just watching tape. Uh, works well as an on-ball and help defender. I think that's the, I would, that was the thing that stood out to me. The, the uh, adjective I used to describe him, he's rubbery on defense. I think he can be used uh, all, all over the floor in that regard. And I also think that he isn't a guy that's constantly hunting for his own shot, uh, reads the floor pretty well, pretty good passer. Um, I like him. I, I, because he played in the NBL, um, I think it will actually help his case that he got better as the season went along. That's been another thing that's been attached to him. Like if the NBA draft was held, you know, five months ago, uh, six months ago, he would not be projected necessarily as a first-round guy, but he came on strong, came on late. So I will take him. And what I do think is a is a lo- logical fit from a roster standpoint with the Nuggets. Yeah, I like it. Go ahead, GP. Uh, no, no, no. Like, uh, I, I was just going to move on to 22. You're yeah. Picking, you're picking for my Grizzlies. <laughs> for your Grizzlies at 22, I'm going to pick Dale and Terry from Arizona. Uh, Memphis's front office last few years has kind of latched on to like a certain type of prospect kind of during the draft. Uh, character traits include 
production, you know, from, from Desmond Bain, but also like extreme self-confidence, which fits to a T what Dalen Terry is. Um, he was asked last week about being projected as, as a potential like late first round pick and I'm paraphrasing here, but basically said like, we'll have to revisit that in a few years, like kind of wink, wink. Um, he's very confident in himself. This is a guy who actually I thought would maybe come back to school. Um, but I think the feedback he got was, was like, you're going to be a first round pick. You might as well just stay. Um, wouldn't be surprised if he ends up going higher than this. I love his length. Yeah, he's he's six seven with a seven foot wingspan. Interesting playmaking skills. Really good handle. Tenacious rebounder. A, a guy who I think can be a glue guy at the NBA level. Um, needs to steady his shot, but shot a pretty respectable number last season at Arizona. Um, so I'm I am buying the uh, the Dale and Terry hype along with Dale and Terry. Is he comfortable trash talking the champions? Because you cannot be a member of the Grizzlies unless you're comfortable trash talking the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, he fits right in. He he can be among the best. I think Christian Brown is the best trash talker in this in this class. But Dalen Terry, steady his, number two. His teammate was the best trash talker in the sport, Kirk Creasy. Well, that's true. In this draft class, but, but maybe Terry picked up a little of that GP, and he'll 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 adapt accordingly. Well, I hope so. At 23, yeah. I got the Sixers taking Kennedy Chandler. It's my little homie from Memphis. We talked about him um, earlier in the week on a previous episode, so I won't spend too much time on it. Um, the only issue with him is his height. You know, he's six foot. That's a you know a potential problem. But like I said yesterday, Chris Paul's six foot. Uh, Jalen Brunson's six one. Fred VanVleet's six one. It's three All Star level guys who um, are all, you know, little relative to normal-sized NBA point guards, and it hasn't stopped them from being great. The one thing, not the one thing, but a thing, some things Chris Paul and Jalen Brunson and, and Fred Van Vliet had in common coming out of college is uh, they were great run-your-team point guards. They won, and they were leaders, and they could reliably make perimeter jump shots. Kennedy Chandler is all that same stuff. I'm a believer. Um you know, it, 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 I, it is it is a fact that you can be six foot tall, play point guard, and be great in the NBA. And so, to eliminate the possibility of that of greatness for him, based strictly on his height, is um, is not paying attention to to history or you know where we are in the league right now. Uh, just like anybody selected in the 20s, you know, it, 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 there's a chance he won't make it. But I'm a believer. Uh, this deep in the draft, uh, I, I'd, I'd be thrilled. In fact, if if the Grizzlies could get him at 22, and he worked out for the Grizzlies this weekend, I believe, I'd be thrilled with that. <laughs> this franchise knows a thing about drafting six-foot point guards who are awesome in the NBA because it has one of the five best in the history of the sport. Six feet tall, number one overall pick, 1996, Allen Iverson. Trivia time. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Kennedy Chandler is not exactly Allen Iverson, but he is the only, he's the only point guard by more traditional definitions that is projected to be taken in the first round. Every other guy that would have the ball in his hands running an offense leans more toward... Mm-hmm. lead guard, combo guard, then like point guard is I'm undersized. I can distribute. I will distribute. I have some scoring tendencies, but I'm not going to rely on my jump shot to create offense. That's not what Kennedy Chandler, he has that capability, that talent. Um, if he went to Philly, 
uh, that would be a really fun fit. I've got Milwaukee at 24, and I've got Milwaukee taking a local product. Uh, I've got Milwaukee taking Patrick Baldwin Jr., played last season at Milwaukee in the Horizon League with the Panthers and had a catastrophe of a one-and-done season. So, um, uh, you know, I wrote a feature on it, uh, and we talked about that on the previous episode as well. This is, I said before, I tried to split the difference between projecting team behavior and having a little bit of influence on my own big board. This is where that comes right here. Although I will say, again, Baldwin's camp believes he is going in the first round. And it's it's not like, let's project this out and talk it into existence as much as, you know, he's represented by Mark Barlstein, who is a longtime agent, highly respected within the league, and doesn't carry a reputation for speaking things that don't have a lot of basis to them. That being said, because Baldwin suffered an ankle injury that cost him basically his entire senior season of high school, and he was so inconsistent. Like he only played 11 games and the games he played, he, he had like one truly, really, really, really good game that came against Robert Morris, who was terrible last season. Uh, you can easily see why a team would be like, well, if he's there in the second round, we'll use him then. Maybe we get incredible value. But the question becomes like, he's got, he's like legitimately 6'10", really good size. Is the shot going to prove to be as good as his reputation, which you look into the numbers, he actually hasn't been a great shooter. Um, someone, if he goes in the first round, someone's going to take the gamble. And the gamble could pay off big time. I think Boone and I are of similar mind when it comes to PBJ. I've got him as a top 15 grade. I'm going to just go chips in. I'm going to bank on him becoming someone who, when we look some years down the road, being like, he was there. See that guy, that guy, that guy, that guy, that guy. Oh, that guy too, and that guy. They all should have been taken after Baldwin. I think that's destined to happen, so I've got him going to 24. You've got him, Kyle, you've got him top 20 grade. Do you not in this draft? I do, yeah. And to me, I think the injury concerns are real. Um, And also, this is a guy who has a really strong pedigree. Like two years ago was the number one recruit in his class. Um, He just has been really underwhelming the last two years. But I think... This is a guy who will end up being taken outside the lottery, but has the most likely chance among non-lottery picks to be a future all-star. Uh, just that I buy the talent, you know, the size, the positional size is great. Um, in theory, he should be a good shooter. He's got a, a nice, smooth, high release. Um, see, I'm, I'm buying the, the PBJ dip uh, at number 24. Like this is, this is pretty good value. So. Uh, I would look at him in the 20s. I yeah. thought Norlander made a good point yesterday, though, when we were talking about him. Um, he has a reputation of a shooter because he looks like he can shoot, but he doesn't make them. Right. It's like a person with a beautiful golf swing that can't hit golf shots. Like, hey, you know, like the swing looks nice. Like um, the Jeff George deal. Like he was a pro quarterback, but Jeff George, like his arm his reputation was like, this guy's going to go to the Hall of Fame. Look at the look at his form. Look how far he can throw it. What did that amount to? There could be some of that going on. Yeah, right. right. Like um, I, I, I played recently with uh, um, a, a friend of mine's daughter um, and she's got this beautiful swing, uh, but she's still learning how to play, play golf. And so but if you just watch her swing, you'd be like, oh, my God, she must be amazing. And she might be someday. But she's still, you know, uh, she's not, the swing doesn't match the shot making at, at this point. And with Patrick Baldwin. Um, 
you know, the, the, it, it looks great, but you know, the point Norlander made yesterday is go back to grassroots, go back to high school. He's never shot great percentages from three. And, you know, that would be concerning for me. And then like the injury stuff. Plus, uh, does it bother anybody that he showed up at the combine out of shape? Like didn't look great. Didn't measure great. Didn't test well. Like nothing there. A little bit. Now I did go and further into that. They, they send these team results don't get shared, but like his agent said on the record that, you know, his every subsequent team workout has put the combine to shame. And that's really tamped down a lot. Of, I, I, you know, I can't I can't verify that. So the closest I could do is saying, all right, if you're going to say it on the record, the teams are going to know whether you're telling the truth or not. So I assume it is. But like he had, you know, a vertical that was highly superior to what he did at the combine. And I don't the combine definitely worried people. Um, but apparently the word is subsequent workouts with teams have given them more consideration to consider yeah. yeah like i i, I want to be clear i would look at it here and anywhere else in the first round like in fact the previous version of my mock draft at 29 i had the grizzlies taking him and because if you're the grizzlies you can afford to miss at 29 they got so many young pieces if they're really going to execute both these picks like if you just take a big swing and completely miss it i don't want to say it doesn't matter because all this stuff matters but it doesn't matter much and so, like, I, I, if he's on, if he's available at twenty nine, and the Grizzlies are picking, you know, I, I, I definitely consider it there. He's somebody I think, I think, will probably go in the twenties, if not twenties, very quickly in the second round. Yep, agree with you. All right, at twenty five for the Spurs, I am picking, and I will select Nikola Jovic, not Jokic, Jovic. Um, Really interesting international prospect. He measured six foot eleven in shoes at the combine, but this guy plays more like a wing than a power forward, um, which is which is pretty interesting. He's last season with Mega Mozart was kind of the one of the team's primary initiators. Averaged three point four assists per game last season. His handles and his passing, kind of playmaking in that size, are are really interesting tools. Um, San Antonio, I think, is probably willing to take the risk here that he could eventually develop into something. He's very toolsy. He's not great on, on defense. He's not particularly efficient scoring it. He's not real athletic. There's a lot of things that are working against him, but um, interesting kind of playmaker and prospect at his size um, at number 25. I would, uh, I would take Nikola Jovic. At 26 with Houston, I'm going Blake Wesley out of Notre Dame. He is a little bit like Jeremy Sohan in the sense that, Nobody had him projected as a one and done, I don't think, coming out of high school. And now here he is as a, as a likely one and done um, first round pick. Super athlete, you know, 6'4, six, 6'5 six, ish guard, you know, could play with the ball, play without the ball. The concern here is obvious. Like, and this is always a, not always, but it's always often a red flag with me. It's like, athlete can really do this, do that, do that. And if he can ever figure out how to shoot, well, then you got something. How many guys do we say that about in the draft process who never actually figure out how to shoot? I think the majority of them. Yeah. If you say, if you read a draft profile, scouting report, and it says, um, has never been a good shooter, but if he figures that out, then you got something really interesting. Of those guys that that's written about, how many of them actually you look up in five years and you go, Man, he figured it out. I think most do not. Most don't figure it out. And so that's a concern. But, you know, at this point, we're in the bottom of the first round. And 
um, you know, you just trying to hit on anybody. If you take a guy at 26 and he's a, he's he's a uh, impactful player on his rookie contract, then that's a that's an A plus pick. Yep. I've got 27 next, and I'm going to go with uh, the point guard that I'm weighing on. Top 25 grade for me, easily first-round grade, Andrew Nemhard, who apparently is starting to get a little more run as a potential first-rounder here, which is which is nice to see because I think he deserves it. I mean, he has led Gonzaga over the past few years to being, you know, per Ken Palm, the, the number one team in the sport. Like, you know, the, know the Bulldogs did not win the 21 or 22 national championship, but, um, you know, predictive metrics aren't interested necessarily in, in who wins the title. It's the full body of work. And Gonzaga did rate comfortably, I'll remind you, comfortably rated in both those seasons as the best team in men's college basketball. And that takes into account all competition uh, for those that might not be familiar with how Kempom ranks. Now, Mard was, was the head of the snake. He take, wasn't, take, take that argument to Twitter and see how it goes for you. No shot. We're going to keep it right here on the podcast. I, uh, that. <laughs> I've already adjudicated that on social media. And I'm about I'm about done with it. Uh, Nemhard was not as heralded or as good as Timmy or Holmgren or Jalen Suggs uh, a year ago. I get all that, but shot a reliable 38% from three this past season was above 50% inside the three point arc, 87% foul shooter. He didn't get to the line a ton. I'd actually like to see him be a little more aggressive. Sometimes I think he might. Um, command and try and guide the offense beyond the three-point arc a little much could use a little more dribble creation uh and want to when getting to the hole but you know six five size pretty good body i like his distribution uh technique because this assist rate was was very very good so at the back end it is not a strong point guard draft and and again nemhard's not even like kennedy chandler like he'll actually i think need to grow into that and be more pass first why not? I think this is really good value, and you're trying to get guys that you know you can put the ball in their hands. I think he's got a chance at being a, a pretty good, you know, first option off the bench to uh, to step in and help run an offense. Yep. All right, at number twenty eight for Golden State, I am selecting it, and I will take Tari Eason, who somehow slipped to the back end of the first round. Pretty surprised. I don't think there's any chance that Eason falls this far. Um, it would be just hilarious if he fell to the Warriors at 28 because I think there'd be a ton of griping. I would be stunned. Um, I think there's some questions, right, about his offensive production uh, to the next level, which I get. You know, his, his, I looked up his catch and shoot and spot up numbers, and they're not overwhelmingly good, but he's a really dynamic uh, defensive prospect who, to me, is like kind of a Jeremy Sohan light in this draft, can guard multiple positions averaged nearly two steals per game. So he's like a true defensive playmaker uh, shot 36% from three last season, which is, which is pretty good. I don't know if that's necessarily um, something that you can project as, as sustainable, but I think there's reason for optimism there. Um, there's kind of some shades of Herbert Jones to me with, uh, with Tari Eason because Herbert Jones coming out, like the, the, the shooting, and the offense, I think, was the big question. But there is no doubt that he was a, a next-level defensive prospect. Um, that's kind of in the same boat with Tari Eason. So, yeah, at 28, I think he can return a lot of value as a defensive prospect. And hope over time that his three-point shot, his shooting, will eventually come around. At 29, Grizzlies taking Christian Brown out of Kansas. 6'6 athlete. Um, who – Shot a good percentage from three. Like I, I know it wasn't, you know, forty five percent, a little below forty actually. But um, I, I think he's a capable shooter. 
who's got you know nice size, six foot six, was great in transition, and just looks like a guy who is going to be able to to guard multiple positions in the NBA and you know hit open jumpers, come off screens, and knock down shots. Like I'm a believer in these types of guys. Uh, to me, that's one of the real um, strengths of this draft. Is like six five, six six, six seven, you know, wings that are good enough athletes and good enough shooters to play meaningful roles in the NBA. And I would, I'd put Christian Brown um, in that group. And if he is as good of a trash talker as Norlander suggests, um, I can't wait for him to be quote tweeting John Morant and aiming it at Draymond Green. I think I believe that was Boone that was uh, attaching that to Christian Brown. Oh, okay. There you there's, go. There's, I, there's, I, I do. Yeah. I do wish he would do something about his name. That is not Brown. That's Braun. It's well, tough. It's, I don't it's, know it's just. Tough. It's just not Brown. All right. All right. Well, listen. Like that's just that you can't just. Spell I'm actually surprised you even picked him at this point. Then you seem you, there's a real grudge that seems to be developing. Well, you can't spell your name a certain way and just decide. I think that's how it works. Actually, and then just decide we're not going to pronounce it that way unless your name is spelled K O C K B U R N. <laughs> well, you mean see you even me, me, oh, me. God. <laughs> yeah, C C C C unless it's C O C K B U R N, then you can pronounce that however you want. I give you a pass. If you if you want to call yourself Colbert instead of Cockburn, I totally get that. Nobody needs to go through life being called Cockburn. But you, you, that's brawn. You can't just say no. That spells brown. Like if, if you're willing to say that say, that spells brown. What's to stop you from saying it? It spells yellow. I, I think Can't at this start. point, his uh, his last name is kind of a finished product, which uh, I might be out <laughs> yes. on at this point. Finished product. Paris refuses yeah. to believe it's a finished product. He thinks he can make the change. Who was the football player? Who? Theisman. It was oh, Theisman. Joe Joe Theisman. Okay. His name was pronounced Theisman, and then he changed it to Theisman because it rhymed with Heisman. This yeah, happened. You know where Joe Theismann lives? Washington. No, right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, really? Yeah. I think he married a Memphis girl. He's my neighbor, practically. We talked about the Kansas Jayhawks minimum. I mean, how many, who knows how many episodes we do in a season? Three a week on average, five months. I mean, we talked about Kansas minimally like 30 times. Not once did Parrish bring up this issue with Christian Brown. And here, you know, 54 hours before the guy is going to have his life changed forever and get drafted at some point brings out the knives. I'm just, I, I guess I'm thankful you didn't bring this up in the middle of February. Well, Maybe like, the what, 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 what if you, what if you, my name was spelled G A R Y P A R R I S H and you were like Gary Parrish. And I was like, Oh no, no, no. It's Gary Pirish. Like, <laughs> what? Gary Parrish. I'd respect no, it. It's no, your name. I, I, you, like, dude, it's spelled brawn. If you what want to if be it was Kyle Bone, would you have an issue if it was Kyle Bone? It's exactly a perfect one. Like, yeah, my name's Kyle Bone. Your name's not Kyle Bone. Get rid of one of those O's if you want to be Kyle Bone. You're Kyle Boone. You can't put all those O's. You cannot just decide your name is pronounced in a way that it so obviously isn't spelled. That's outrageous behavior. It's actually Bonet. It's uh, it's French. <laughs> My wife, my wife's maiden name is Roos. She's always gone by gone by Roos. I'll give you a quick, uh, totally off the subject story, but it's sort of the same thing. So our old, oldest son was uh, diagnosed with diabetes insipidus when he was a baby, 
uh, which sounds awful, but it's really not. He just drinks a lot of water and, and urinates a lot more than a normal person. actually pronounced diabetes, but yeah, go continue. Whatever. <laughs> you get, you get, in the South, it's diabetes. In the South, you get diabetes. Okay. I was, I was referencing the commercial. And anyway, continue. Okay. So um, they say, well, th- this is either something that's caused possibly by a brain tumor. Oh, no. Or um, it's genetic. And they were like, it's it's really big in uh, in the French Canadian communities. Like the research center is in maybe in Montreal. I could be making some of this up. So they were like, um, we need to go through your family history. And so they were like, what's your name? I was like, Gary Parrish, father's name, go through all the grandparents' names, whatever. And they go to my wife and they say, what's your name? And she said, uh, Kelly Parrish, maiden name, Kelly Roos. Can you spell it? R-O-U-S-S-E. Rousset? She's like, I don't know. My dad's from Arkansas. We've always been the Russes. <laughs> but that, and they were like, well, that's it. it you have a can, French Canadian name, Rousset. And that's why your kid has diabetes and sympathies. But we, she never even knew that because she pronounced it Roos her entire life. Didn't even know her own heritage. That's wild. Shit. What a shame. With the 30th pick, I have Denver. And I will go with one of the best defenders left on the board. An accomplished college player. Made a Final Four. Improved year over year. I'll go Wendell Moore Jr. out of Duke. Uh, I think that he has a good chance at sticking around for a second contract, if not more, in the NBA. Pun unintended there. Uh, because he is such a good on-ball defender, uh, really good lateral mover, and the only concern I would have with him is he's not hes not the kind of guy to really run an offense at the next level. Uh, does he have enough in the bag to become, you know, a good, a good number two, as in shooting guard, not number two option on a team. Maybe I, I, I just know I like him a lot as a basketball player. I got to see plenty of him this past season in person. He shot forty-one percent from three, fifty-four point four percent from two, and was an eighty-one percent foul shooter. He never, as I pointed this out on my big board mock when I put him in there, he never, t- he never commits bad fouls, and he doesn't get into foul trouble. He's a reliable guy to keep on the floor, and the efficiency numbers back up. My case for him that he should be given a first round grade. We'll see if he winds up going there about three or four weeks ago when I was kind of checking in on a few guys. The vibe on on more was that he was more likely to be second round than first. I think that has started to change and drift a little bit there. His range to me feels 25 to 35 overall. So he'll he'll wrap it up for us. Number 30 to Denver. Keep in mind, as we've gone through this whole list. There will be trades. A lot of these teams that we've that we've assigned players to, they're going to move out of it. I'd put the over-under. There's probably a prop out here for this. I don't know what it is. I'd put the over-under on first-round trades at four and a half and expect some noise once we get to uh, once we get to Thursday night. But here we are again. Yet another successful and breezy and breezy mock draft has been completed. Bre- breezy? Breezy. I'm burning breezy up. Breezy 90 I'm wearing a hoodie in a attic converted into a studio it's 140 degrees outside nothing breezy about what i'm dealing with right now couldn't be take hotter. it up take it up <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe in the 2023 nba mock draft shouts to Devin daddy shouts to chester south carolina shouts to huck shouts to larnell 
Thank you guys for listening once again to the Island College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. There's more of us than there are of them. And uh, like we told you earlier in the week, Norlander and I will be conducting a post-draft Ion College Basketball Podcast late Thursday that should be in your feed you know, when you wake up on Friday morning. So that's the next time we'll talk to you. Barring something crazy. Till then, take care. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town. And they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd. Exclusively on Paramount+.